Hello and welcome to our 12-part mini-series, Harvestable. Join us every Thursday for 15-minute fireside chats with agriculture's most insightful minds in the lead-up to harvest. In this episode, we are joined by Daniel McNaught of McNaught's. So welcome to another episode of Harvestable. Uh, I'm Ben Reed, co-founder and head of growth for AgriDigital. And today on the line, I've got Daniel McNaught, who's the CEO of uh, McNaught's uh, Transport, a business based in Berrigan in southern New South Wales. Good to have you on the line, Daniel. Yeah, thanks, Ben. So today, I'm excited to actually talk about trucks. I guess having grown up on a farm myself, and, uh, you know, driven the, the international ACO uh, truck that we had back in the day, you know, learning, cutting your teeth on driving a farm truck and, you know, carting loads of grain back to, back to farm storage, um, not to, to the local bulk handler. I guess I wasn't old enough at that point to drive a truck on a public road. But, uh, but yeah, certainly um, trucking, I guess, has been part of my life and, and obviously a big part of your life. And I wouldn't mind just, yeah, at the start, at least unpacking uh, the history of your life and the McNaught's business just to give everyone some, some context around um, who you are and what you do. Okay, well, yeah, there's a fair bit to just yeah, unpack <laughs> just with that first intro there. But look, from my point of view, I guess McNaught's now is very different to where it was, say, 20, 30 years ago as a company. So historically, it was basically very simple fertilizer distribution, spreading business with a few trucks, and then that um, slowly grew through opportunities and yeah, grew into a larger freight contracting business. But I'd say over the last 10 years in particular, um, it's, it's sort of transformed now into being, you know, still got a large freight component, but there's also now a storage business, a grain trading business and general freight business. So it's, yeah, probably a bit more diversified now, but still all very, very, um, yeah, linked back to the agricultural industry. So in terms yep. of in terms of my background with it though, Ben, like I've I've been involved in the business now for the last ten years, and yeah, background, um, yeah, grew up in Finlay, went to school in Melbourne, started uh, as an accountant, and yeah, never never thought I'd be involved in the trucking industry really, but yeah, here I am. That's really good, Daniel, and I guess um, as we do in this um, in this series, we you know, give full disclosure. So McNaughts are, are a software customer of ours for your fuel grain uh, storage business you spoke about and we, we will we will come in and talk a little bit about that that is um as part of today's discussion a little bit later but yeah that's that's uh, a great background and i guess just for context daniel you know uh, roughly i know it probably changes a little bit but but roughly how many trucks do you have uh give or take on the road each day so yeah on the on the road each day we would have somewhere between 40 to 45 trucks and They'd be, yeah, we've got a fleet of around about 110 to 120 trailers that make up all sorts of different configurations depending on which state and which roads they're operating on. Yep, good. And, and you said sort of general freight as well, Daniel. So is that, is that tip, tippers and um, talk liner trucks? Uh, so yeah, we've got a combination of um, tippers, um, bottom dump trailers and, and curtain side trailers. So our curtain side general freight trailers are based out of Dubbo and there's still, I mean, we do some stuff outside of the ag industry, but it's still predominantly, um, yeah, ag focused with a lot of our customers with what we transport there in terms of chemicals and palletized freight. Yep. Great. That's fantastic. Uh, great context. So I guess one thing we wanted to talk about today was a little bit around the regulation and the uh, NHVR, uh, which I guess is an acronym for the, the industry, that, or the, the peak body, I guess, that looks after the um, heavy vehicle um, 
industry, I just yeah, for, for I guess for listeners out there that don't know much about that, wouldn't mind just yeah, you explaining a little bit about who NHVR are and what they do, and, and I guess what they you know what uh, what they impose on the industry and your business. Yeah, sure. Um, well, NHVR. Okay, I mean they they call, they call themselves National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, but I think you know most of their laws. It's it's very it's still I feel a long way from being a national organisation. It I mean each state still does their own thing. WA is pretty much excluded from it altogether. They have their own regulator and still still don't even need a logbook to run in WA. So it's you know it, it's still very far from a nationally regulated industry. And I think. Um, COVID has probably highlighted just how different, um, or, or just how different different states' approaches can be to the, dealing with the same issues. So I feel like they've tried to regulate uh, the freight industry to the point where we we do have the same rules and regulations in each state, but in in you know in in practice, it's very far from being the same in each state. So. I don't know, Ben. I mean, there's there's probably several specific examples I can give just from stuff that we um, we deal with just in grain. I mean, do you want me to just give a, a, a would you like a grain example for some of these differences? I think I think that'd be helpful. And I know we were talking offline before about um, you know the different, as you say, it's a national, um, excluding WA at least, regulator. But there's obviously state-based rules and. You know, I think from other transport companies, you know, that listen to to this podcast will, um, I guess, be quite familiar. I guess with all of this, but there would be a lot of farmers that would potentially be listening to this that that actually are less familiar with it and probably somewhat daunted by it. I would think so. Yeah, be good if you can probably give us a grain example would be really helpful context. Yep. Yeah. yeah, sure. Well, I mean, with where we're based in Finley, uh, you know, Finley Berrigan area, where we're on a standard road train network here. Um, so we can just use a standard two-trailer road train um, trailer for any local work, and and that's very efficient. Um, you know, probably average of somewhere between a probably average of payload of around 55 tons. But as soon as you cross the border into Victoria or go further east of the Newell in Berrigan, then you're back to a B double of 42 ton. So you know, with where we're located, if yeah, if we go south, we're losing about a 30% payload. And if we go east, we're losing a 30% payload. And yet now, you know, Victoria in the last couple of years have really changed a lot of their PBS, so performance-based standards requirements. So we now can run our road trains into Victoria. However, we can't run the same combinations we use in New South Wales. We've actually got to go and buy um, you know, brand new purpose-built um, road trains that are pretty much identical, have the same payload, but slightly different axle spacings. So. There's a lot of different things like that that really get in the way from a capital expenditure point of view where we've got equipment, we can do it, but we don't meet a bridge formula. So you know, it, it, can, it can be one of those things, Ben, where you've got equipment and you've invested millions of dollars and you still can't do the job because the rules have changed. And it is like that, that, get, that gets very, very frustrating. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it that way. I can, I can imagine. And I think probably for... You know, it doesn't matter whether you're a farmer, a, a grain trader, um, or a, or a consumer. Ultimately, that that sort of limitation and frustration that you have impacts them as well because the cost of freight, you know, is obviously going up or down depending on the payload that you can put on that truck. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, a driver driving a 55-ton payload versus a 42-ton payload is probably getting paid the same amount per hour, but the and the cost of yeah, the, the diesel is roughly the same. It's really just that 
you know, you've got you've got your fixed costs that are obviously then um, irrespective of the payload are, are having to be um, born. Exactly. The, co- the costs aren't too dissimilar whether or not you're running a B-double or a road train or an A-double. So an A-double, for anybody that doesn't know, is essentially just a road train, um, but it just meets different, different axle spacings and different overall lengths, but it is just still a standard two-trailer road train. Yep, um, got it. Yeah, so it's so there is no real difference other than it's yeah got a different name. Yeah, yep. And as I said, you know, if you look at the thirty percent difference of, of payload, that you know, ultimately you know give or take means a thirty percent higher cost of, of freight, which you know is more dollars per ton for cost, and, and obviously less dollars in the pocket of of the, uh, the whether it be the farmer, the trader, or the consumer who's actually paying you to cart that 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 product. So um, can certainly. Yeah relate to that and 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 to your point before about sort of you know hopefully as an industry we can move more towards national um rules and guidelines here so we can you know we obviously need to uh conform to those but you know practicalities will hopefully head us in the right direction over time and and i'm sure during that 10 years you've been involved in the business daniel you've seen um change some's probably for the good and some not so much for the good but yeah hopefully for for all of us we can um yeah, so I think yeah, look, definitely looked at. There have been changes. I mean, you know, compared to ten years ago, I mean, in the last three months, we've started running our first road trains into Melbourne. So again, we we are now able to do that. But it is a but it is a shame. You know, we've had to invest um, you know a lot of money to do that, and when really we could have utilised existing equipment uh, with the same safety standards. There's no difference from a safety standpoint, but it is. It's just a shame that from a regulation standpoint. We've had to invest the extra money to do the same job um, that we could have just otherwise already done in New South Wales. Yep, yep, and and slightly changing tact at the moment. I know it's probably topical, um, you know, with the the big demand, I guess, for for bulk freight. Um, we've had you know a couple of more. Well, we've had one, and, and about to hopefully have another large harvest in Australia. Uh, the demand for for you know bulk freight services is through the roof. I'm sure you're seeing that as well, and the and the cost of the of the of the gear and the demand for the gear is high as well so there's um yeah it's 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 the, the fluctuation i guess of the you know drought years versus the the bigger production years are obviously frustrating from a, a bulk perspective and, and i guess probably sort of leads into the next sort of area that i want to talk about which is <clears throat> which is your grain storage business that you've invested in and you've um which you own at Berrigan. and i apologize earlier that your freight business is actually based out of finley but the the grain uh the grain storage business you've purchased is based in Berrigan. um you talked about a hundred thousand tons of storage there which i believe was an old grain corp site correct yes it was yes yep. so um yeah wouldn't mind just understanding that a little bit better probably the motivations behind buying that facility and and i guess you know i, I sort of talk a little bit about making it work you know you've obviously purchased that um asset and and you know fill that with grain uh, to, to try and make it all work. I wouldn't mind just understanding a little bit about the, the methodology and the motivations behind that. Yeah, sure, Ben. I guess that, that purchase was really based on, I guess, you know, the opportunity came up um, with Grand Corp listing a lot of assets for sale at around the same time that we were fed up with, um, I guess, the amount of downtime and, you know, and I guess the, the lack of load times available to, to run an efficient uh, you know, grain trucking business. So, uh, uh, you know, in the, I think in the preceding 18 months, yeah, we worked out, we had like one or two days a week, every week, where we were just dropping loads for up to 10 trucks at a time just because of downtime or trucks not getting back to load at a, 
you know, say, for example, at other Grain Corp sites or other third-party sites by, their, by when they would shut their gates at 3 p.m. And for us, it just was not viable to run a, run a freight business and only be able to load trucks between 8 and 3 p.m. when their, you know, each asset's worth several hundred thousand dollars and, you know, you're trying to work them around, you know, a 40, 40-hour 40 work week. It just did not work. So what we wanted to do was have more control over the loading so that we could get the right number of loads completed in a week and hopefully, um, you know, um, create, a, create a viable business. So that, that was the original strategy. Yep, that's good. And, and I think you mentioned also too, I guess you then relied upon other traders and buyers to, to buy the grain at the site and you would just obviously you know, charge a storage and handling fee for that and obviously offer the freight off the back of that. But you've, you've also moved into, I guess, uh, also you know, buying in principal grain um, at the site and then have, sort of having a bit more control over the supply chain. Yeah, definitely. And, that, and that's, that really kind of happened by accident and by necessity. And, you know, we definitely never really wanted to be on the grain buyer side of things at all. However, you know, what we found is we, we would do deals with certain buyers and they would each be after, <clears throat> excuse me, something, something particular. So if there was a buyer for a feed lot, they would only want to buy feed wheat or feed barley. So then when we had farms at harvest time coming in and they had high protein wheats, you know, we would then have an instance where, all right, well, we've got no buyer for it. So and we, we weren't buying at the time. So what we found is that we were missing out on a lot of, a lot of grain from people uh, who, were, who really wanted to deliver to our site, but we just didn't have the buyers for the, for the grades that they were delivering. So we, we started um, trading ourselves, you know, purely to bridge that gap with the buyers. And, and, and to a large extent, we, we've continued that and, you know, we still have other buyers at our site. Um, but from a, from a principal trader standpoint, it has given us far more control over the supply chain. So, you know, having, you know, previously for 80% of our fleet, we might not have known what it was doing, you know, one week or two weeks or three weeks from now. Whereas what we've found, um, you know, particularly in the last 12 months since we've really ramped up our trading activity, we, we, we know that our fleet can be booked up, you know, three, four, five, six months in advance now on delivered contracts. and. It just really lets us focus on running the business properly and efficiently instead of just wondering where that next load is coming from for tomorrow or for next Monday. Yeah, look, that all makes sense. And, and I guess, you know, if you look at the, the evolution of any business, and, and I guess yours is no different in the last 10 years, you've, you've talked about, you know, transitioning from being purely a freight business with, you know, what was it, 20 trucks or something to now 45 trucks with a storage business as well as you know trading some grain to uh to make it all work and and um you know that's that's natural that you're going to evolve uh, as the time goes on and i'm sure it doesn't come without its own headaches heartaches and um and nervous moments along the way but um but there's uh yeah i can sort of see how that all works and, and i guess probably for a lot of a lot of farmers you know um now also own you know own their own truck or trucks and, and you know on farm storage to complement what they're doing with businesses like yours and also, you know, the, the major bulk handlers um, as well. So I guess there's a, they can probably relate to, to that as well. Um, probably, probably just a, a good segue, I guess, to, to wrap it up and finish off here. I guess if you look at what you've done in the last 10 years since you've been back in the family business, Daniel, you know, heading into the next five to 10 years, um, yeah, what, where, what do you see? Where do you see that heading? And, and can you see the same uh, change happening into the next 10 years as, as the past? Uh, yeah, good, good question. Uh... Who knows? Um, I guess there's, 
It's really, I mean, for, for us from a regulation standpoint, we're so heavy, heavily regulated now, um, you know, from a, from a freight standpoint that, you know, any, any changes, any major changes with probably what we do are going to be dictated to by changes in legislation. And by that, I mean, we, you know, we, we've got very strict caps on our maximum gross weights that we can transport. So that really affects our overall efficiency. We're very much capped on, you know, we're dictated to with what price we pay, say, for diesel, for instance, because, you know, that's, what, again, another global commodity. And then we're also dictated to by the government for, you know, with award wages and, and the demand for, you know, all the driver shortage at the moment as well. So, like, from a, from a trucking company owner's perspective, um, yeah, definitely we're, we're the ones getting squeezed in the middle. So I would say, you know, what I'd like to see in the next five years is, you know, really people understanding the real cost, the true cost of running running a business and having that um, probably better reflected in rates, which which they have been in the last say twelve months. But yeah, hopefully that continues. Yeah, that's right. And and, and I do, uh, as I said before, you have the fluctuation of you know the ag industry being dictated to by available water, whether it's you know rain or, or irrigation. Um, and you know, given you're in the MIA, uh, you know, the heart of irrigation, I guess in Australia, there's there's lots of um, things happening in that space too. With you know, growers switching from growing different commodities, and obviously the demands on freight are different for each each one of those. But um, yeah, it's been a it's been yeah wonderful to have you as a customer, Daniel, and we look forward to um, continuing to help you on your diverse uh, journey, and appreciate you being with us today. And um, good luck for the for the harvest ahead. No, thanks, Ben. I hope. Um... Yeah, look, I'm hoping it's going to, going to be another good harvest and, yeah, so far so good. And I definitely appreciate what you've done, um, yeah, through your software and what, what's that, what, well, I guess, just how much that's um, helped us, you know, deal with our farmers and provide better value to, yeah, all of the farmers delivering grain to us across harvest. Wonderful. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for listening to Harvestable by Waypath. We hope you enjoyed this fireside chat. Have a great weekend and see you next Thursday.